Hello, you are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. Hi, hello neighbor. I am Amanda O'Fox Gillespie, and I welcome you to Folk University's Folk U Talk Show on CKTZ. Last week, we began a special month in partnership with Foci called Nature is Good for You. Folk University in case you have forgotten, is an experiment in slow learning. We are asking the question, can we use our ideas, our interests, our skills, our passions to help us realize our individual potential and make us more resilient as individuals and as a community? You can find past shows on CortezRadio.ca and go to the talk show tab. And then you have to scroll down until you see a really big really big lettering access the folk you talk show here and that will get you guess what to past shows of the folk you talk show if you want to uh, access some of the more in-depth podcasts um, that are slightly more curated about uh, by me and also by many other journalists um, about what's going on right now in cortez quadra and the surrounding area you can do that on cortez currents Um, I highly recommend you to check out CortezCurrents.ca if you haven't yet. This is a really fantastic um, source of local news, really some fine journalism going on there. Um, So if you haven't checked them out, please do. I'm really excited to welcome into the studio today herbalist Yulia, and a last name that is really complicated, so if you want to actually know how the last name is spelled, I recommend you go to her website, madebyyulia.ca, and Yulia is spelled Y-U-L-I-A, so madebyyulia.ca, um, and she, who's, she also has her products at the Gorge and the Co-op, so you've perhaps seen the label around. She's coming today to talk with us about Herbal Medicine 101, Keeping It Simple, How to Make Herbal Medicine in Your Own Kitchen with Locally Abundant and Common Plants. Yulia, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Amanda. It's nice to be here. (laughs) Some of you may remember that on the very first Folk You Friday talk show on the radio, um, way back at the beginning of the pandemic, seems like a long time ago now, but it was only not even two months ago, Yulia came on to... Um, teach us how to do an alder tincture. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and after that, I felt like, well, I, we have to have more. So here we are <laughs> to get you. more. <laughs> um, Yulia, can you start by talking a little bit about your, how someone begins? What's your advice for someone who's sitting there overwhelmed by the options of health products and ad- advice and information where does that person begin? <laughs> yeah, that that is a really, really, really good question. Um, I have stood in the health food store myself um, many, many times, just looking at this so, so much information, having uh, well, so much products, and then going on the internet and seeing so much information, and just being completely lost. Even after starting to know quite a bit about herbal medicine, I would go to the wall with the tinctures and get lost until maybe I'll start to read a little bit of the names and now I know a little bit more. And 
are laws not allowing us to actually write what the tinctures are about, which make it more complicated. So um, my advice is actually to make your own herbal remedies. This is my advice. And uh, what I really want to say also is that um, simple, simple medicine can be extremely, extremely potent. So my advice is to keep it simple, to, to make your own remedies. And um, if you can make a simple meal, you can make your own herbal remedies. It is that simple. Um, and my other advice is uh, to start with the plants that are close to you. Uh, medicinal plants are really, really everywhere. And that is one of the things that people often don't realize, that a lot of the weeds that we try to eradicate or just see everywhere and completely disregard are medicinal. And a lot of the trees around us are medicinal. And we can make our own medicine rather simply and have really potent medicine. So this is um, sort of the short uh, answer to that. Does that make some sense? <laughs> I love it. I um, and I feel like I'm pretty interested in herbs, and I have been on a, a long journey to to empower myself. Often for me, it's through research or through um, science or just trying to kind of see what's out there, and that's what I needed to do to empower myself to feel like I could be my own expert in what was working for my body. Um, and, and, you know, that all being said, I've been really shy to start on the herbal path. It's as if making my own just seems a world away from, from where I am. And I was really taken by your alder remedy because I even like, cause I was like, even I know what an alder tree looks like even i you know like (laughs) this is exactly what i put it out there because i figured it is so common here uh it is actually the weed of trees really uh it is so common it has so much good medicine and antiviral is one of its properties and because i bumped into uh some write-ups that is make it potentially uh good for um well, nobody knows COVID, about COVID-19 still, but there are research that connecting older with previous coronaviruses. Uh, so I thought, well, might as well. I mean, we may not have access to other remedies. We may have no access to other knowledge or information. We, Everybody have access to that. Go take a few branches, put them in vodka, you have medicine. Well, it's a little bit more complicated, but not a lot more complicated than that. So... Um, so what, when you, when you start to feel, um, perhaps not convinced, but curious enough to, to take that first step into getting to know a plant and trying to see whether there's some medicine in it for, for you or your family, um, what's one of the, like, what's one of the first things you'd have someone like a plant that you'd have them start with or a way of experimenting that you'd have them start with? You know, the the first class that I've taken about my plant medicine was uh, also the class that influenced me the most. Um, what we did is we met uh, every weekend or whatever on a weekend and we went 
Uh, we had one plant we focused in for that weekend. On a Saturday, we went um, and sat with the plant, literally sat with the plant, um, and got to know it, got to feel it, got to taste it. Um, if you are more uh, open uh, spiritually and you like to meditate, then you take it a little bit further out there, but you don't really have to. Uh, you can just keep it to the sensation of it and just feeling it. And then we harvest it. And the next day we actually went into um, into whatever, some school, and we did medicine out of it uh, in the various varieties of medicine that this particular plant can take. And what I find is that I actually, to this day, really don't like reading about plant medicine. <laughs> I, I admit. I find that if I read... Um, um, well, I don't like reading specifically about plant uh, information. Um, and I'll qualify that is like, if there is a plant that I don't know anything about it, I find reading about it just boring. But if there is a plant that I know something about, or even if there is a plant that I sat with, with and then I go and read something about it, I find it a lot more interesting. And um, one of the things that I... Whoa, we're going to a direction I didn't expect, but okay. Um, you know, there are a lot of gardeners here on Cortez. Uh, I'm quite a novice gardener, but I have this experience from the side of plant medicine. But a lot of gardeners say that um, the plants tell you what they need, that the plants talk to you. I've been um, recently on um, the, in a garden club just before the pandemic, we had a, a tree pruning workshop and the guy that was talking there was literally said, he says, they asked him, how do you know how to start? Okay, they gave us some rule of thumbs, but then they said, you actually go and the tree talks to you. The tree tells you how it wants to be pruned. Um, so, so there is this sense that a human and a plant can communicate, that nature is highly intelligent, intelligence and we have the ability to communicate what get us really stuck with with um, that idea when we try to explore it, if we're not used to anything like that, and I wasn't when I started, um, is that we expect a clear communication. We like expect to know what it means. We expect to get a list of, oh, if I'm sitting with Sitter, there is those particular things. And it just doesn't work that way. The communication come. Uh, through the heart. It comes through our intuition. It comes through our sensation. And it is often take practice to um, put it apart and make sense of what it is. Um, for some people who are uh, more connected with their intuition, it may be easier to understand. Um, and for some people who are not, like I wasn't, when I started, I was not connected to my intuition. And that was the kind of class I embarked on. And it was very, very challenging. But what I find is that when I sit with a plant and I don't try to figure it out, I don't connect it with my mind, I don't try to tell myself, yes, 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 I can know. I let it all go. I just sit with a plant and I feel it. And that's it. Nothing else put my mind out of the equation. If I go then and hear something about the plant or read something about the plant, first of all, I don't find it boring anymore because now I have a relationship with the plant. And second of all, there is so much aha 
in their reading, it's almost like I got some information that's sitting somewhere in my intuition, but not in my mind. Um, and then when I read about it, it actually starts to make sense. <laughs> Does it make any sense? <laughs> it, it makes incredible sense. And it's really interesting because um, uh, I don't know if you know this or if people listening know this, but I'm also a health writer and I have two books um, out about basically how to raise healthy families. Um, and I remember being in a lot of my early career was as an environmentalist. And, you know, there's this thing that environmentalists do, right, where they're always I mean, th this includes me. Like, I am so like this where, I'm, you know, you give people the facts, right? Like, let me give you all the information. And then based on the information, of course, you're going to change your behavior, right? Like, you're, right. I'm going to make you feel so bad by all these facts that you're going to stop driving your car. Guess yeah, what? I still drive. Like, it's, it's <laughs> right. We're not. And then I start, I did just enough neuroscience uh, research to be dangerous, not to be credible, but just to be a little dangerous um, when I was writing my book. And one of the things that was so interesting to discover was that the way that actually we change our minds is by acting out a new way right it's through relationship if you begin to recycle you actually have room through your action right you don't you may recycle because someone makes you you may recycle because your husband is like you take that out like you may not believe it in at all you may start driving a hybrid just because like and not do it from any belief place but once you start acting one way once you start creating a relationship with one kind of experience all of a sudden you have room for information, for belief to come in, for you to take in um, all the details and that kind of stuff. And so I think what you're saying is so beautiful because it's like, okay, if you start putting your attention to a plant, of course you have room. You have room for, for information to go there. So um, anyway, I love that. And it makes complete sense to me and it makes, anyway, I love it. Well, actually an another um, aspect is that um, speaking of overwhelm, there's just so much information out there. Um, <laughs> in this pandemic, we see how much of it is garbage. I mean, it's always been the case. Um, but my point is that, you know, when I went to school, well, that was before the internet, I think we're about the same age, me and you. So um, what we learned was information. They told us this and this and this, and that was in history, and this is math, and this is whatever. We went to school to study information. We don't need information now because we have those tiny little devices that are an extension of our, of our hand, probably in the next generation will be, we'll be born with it, um, that we can get whatever information we want at any time, at any moment. So we don't really need the information. So. I have much less interest to come and say, well, this is the properties of cedar, and if you want to use cedar, uh, you probably should remember it. Actually, what I really want to do is to inspire you to understand um, that A, plant medicine is really potent, B, it's readily available, and also it is so simple to make your own medicine um, that you really can do it. You really can do it. And one step further that I also want to say is that 
when we start working with plant medicine, with natural medicine in general and holistic medicine in general, but particularly about plant medicine, um, we need to change the mindset that we are all conditioned with about what medicine is. We are conditioned that medicine, you have a symptom, you take a pill for that symptom. You have another symptom, you take a pill for that symptom. And then you have another symptom, you take another pill for the simple, and you have side effects, which probably will have, we know it's rather common, you take some other pills. And by the time you reach 80, my grandmother complained to me that she has more pills than she has meals in a day to take. So, and that is common, and that is normal. So when we come to work with the plants, we need to change our mindset and understand that it doesn't work like that. And that is an entire conversation in its own, in its own way. But what I do want to say is this, and I'll give you an example. We'll start talking a little bit more about plants. Plants are rather, com rather complex. First of all, they are holistic, so usually um, depends on how we use them, but ideally we would try to, tre to treat the root of the prob problem rather than the symptom. That is one thing. But also it's complex because a single plant can have a wide array of, array of action. Some plants have more, some plants have, have, have less, and also our information, our knowledge is kind of limited. We don't always know. Um, so I'll give you an example. Motherwort. Motherwort is a plant that um, does not grow here in a wild, but does grow here, um, I'm understanding, rather readily in the gardens. Um, and, and I just, I want to bring it primarily to bring the different um, actions that a plant can have. So motherwort is a, is a tonic, a well-known tonic for the female reproductive system. It is excellent for menopause and perimenopause, various um, um, symptoms, or we'll call it that. It helps to balance the, the female hormone system around perimenopause and menopause. It also helps to bring the menses with women that have irregularity in their menses. Also, it is a heart medicine. Also, it is an anxiety remedy. And in fact, it's called motherwort because um, it has a particular medicine for anxiety that is common to mothers. This anxiety that is born with too much to do, with too much responsibility, with too little sleep, that a lot of mothers, especially for young kids, experience, it is a particular remedy for them. It is also uh, a bitter plant. And bitter plants are usually have medicine for the liver and medicine for the digestive system. So I'm not exactly saying that for anybody to memorize unless you feel like it, but here we see an example of one plant that has actions on the female reproductive system, both for menstruating women and women in menopause. We ha it has actions for anxiety, for the liver, for the heart, and uh, what else did I say? A digestive system. And I bet I don't remember it all. So this is the kind of stuff that our conventional medicine, we have a doctor that specializes in the female reproductive system. We have a doctor that specializes for the liver. We have a doctor that specializes in our mental health. Um, they don't even see the connection. And here you have one plant that does all those, all those things. So one of the ways to reduce overwhelm back to 
what we're talking there is that you choose really one plant at a time to study. And my recommendation is to work with plants you are called to. Ideally, you may have it in your environment um, or maybe something you heard about and it just really called to you. That's fine as well. Um, and, and then recognize that each plant have many potential actions. So when you make medicine with, from one plant and you have it in your home, you actually have tools for a wide array of conditions. And then when you work with another plant, you don't just have two, you just have, it, it just doesn't go in a linear way. So just a small amount of plants will give you a lot of medicine and a lot of tools for your own health and your family health. So that is to reduce overwhelm. <laughs> I already feel like, like I can begin. <laughs> and it's funny because I tried to grow motherwort this year. I've got these little seedlings. If anyone's listening, if you're successfully growing mother's wort, mother's wort, I mother really, motherwort, I would really like some um, because my starts okay. really are not looking like they're going to start. I may have a link for you there. I'm going <laughs> to try to try to grow motherwort this year. <laughs> um, perfect. I'm, uh, it's always self-serving here at, <laughs> at Folk University. Um, tell us more. So, let's see. Okay, um, I'll start talking about um, about plants. And my intention when I talked about, about, about plants, again, is not necessarily to memorize the details, but rather um, to have the inspiration and weave into it the different way plant medicine work. Um, so I will touch on some plants and I will touch on how to make medicine uh, and we'll see how far we'll get with that. So um, I'm going to start with cedar um, because cedar is so, so abundant here. And I really like working with plants that are abundant, that, like older that we started talking at the beginning. I like walking, working with plants that I can tell people just go ahead and harvest. And I know that people cannot thoughtlessly over harvest. So I feel that cedar is one such plant. There, there is so much of here. The medicine, um, at least the medicine that I use is in the needles. There is so, so many needles. Uh, even if you take a large amount, it will really, the tree will not even notice it. So cedar medicine. So cedar is antimicrobial, which is antibiotic, antifungal, and antiviral. Now, generally, I don't really like to use the word anti-something with plants, but sometimes it's kind of justified, and I feel that in cedar case, it kind of justified, and, and it gives us um, an idea of some of the cedar medicine, because it has quite a lot. So... Um, Cedar is a potent medicine. It is a strong medicine. If you take it internally, you um, will usually uh, not going to take a very large amount, and you usually will not going to take it over a very long period of time. Um, part of the overwhelm um, 
with herbal medicine comes from the fact that we are used to being given a very clear instruction. When you're given a pharmaceutical drug, you're told you need to take half a pill or a pill three times a day for two weeks, and it has to be precise. You don't want to take too much. You don't want to take too little. If it, and if it's antibiotic, you better take it for two weeks because it's really not good if you don't. When you came to come to herbal medicine, they tell you, oh, you take a lot or you take a little. And um, with, with the mentality of that we are all, um, we are all conditioned with. Uh, I still am conditioned with it after years and years of working myself out of it. Um, when we come to plant medicine, we don't have it because working with plants is more of, a, of an art. And it really is something that when you actually work with it in the way that I suggested, that you actually go and you make a relationship with a plant. You kind of sit with it or you grow it or, or even if you buy it because I, I do like to use wild plants and I love to use plants that uh, either I grew or friends grew, but I do buy dry plants sometimes. But I would prefer to buy the dry plants and make my own medicine rather the buy, than buying the medicine. Although I do that too, but I will do that as a last resort if I want to use something and I don't have. Because I feel that if I buy the dry plant, I still have a relationship with it. I still feel it. I have more of a sense of what it is. I can smell it. I can taste it. I, I can feel it in my hands. Um, so... So when you work with plant medicine, is an art. It's a relationship that you create with the plants. And it is an art that you can have guidance, but you don't have clear rules. And if someone gives you clear rules, well, in my mind, um, it is a rule of thumb. So there are plants that you need to be careful. I'll give you an example just to give an idea. Foxglove which we all know, it's so common here, is a toxic plant. It is also a heart remedy. Now, it is a heart remedy that is rarely, rarely used by herbalists anymore because we have more efficient plants that do a great job um, as a heart medicine and they don't have the danger of uh, foxglove. So the reason I'm bringing it is if you want to use foxglove, it is very, very important the dosage that you use, that you don't overdo it because you use a toxic plant. But usually plants like that are not even a topic of conversation. They're often not really used. They're definitely not common. They're definitely not popular. Um, just know that they exist. But most of the plants that we have access to and that we work with are either food grade which means you can take it with impunity and the likelihood that it will hurt you is close to zero and probably less dangerous than aspirin. Of course, there are always exceptions, but generally speaking. Or they can be something like cedar. So cedar is not food-grade food medicine, especially when you take it internally. But I'm not going to give you a clear-cut rule 
<laughs> funny that we were kind of starting with that plant, but nonetheless, it's so readily available. I'm not going to give you a clear cut rule about how much to take. I'm just going to tell you this. Cedar is a very potent plant and it needs to be taken with respect. If you take chamomile tea or you take lemon balm and you make a tea, they have wonderful medicine and you can't really overdo it. You can't overdo chamomile unless you happen to be allergic. Um, but you can overdo cedar. It's probably not going to do any real damage, but you do want to be aware of it. So this is not really to scare you off cedar. It's just to say that if you take cedar internally because it has various medicine, just know that it's something that you take um, in smaller doses and not for an incredibly long period of time. I'm sorry that I cannot be more precise. <laughs> And that is when we come to intuition. So, um, so cedar is really a plant that if you take it internally, I suggest that you can be someone who can trust your own intuition, who can trust your, your body sensation, because your body tells you whether you are aware of it or not, whether you are willing to trust it or not. And that is a second question. But your body tells you, please give more of that cedar or now I don't want any more. I'll give you another example, which is a lot more benign, um, but that is for the um, example of um, dosage and, and the body talks. When I get um, the slightest inkling of a cold or a flu, my go-to medicine is a strong ginger tea. I'll make a very strong ginger tea with a lot of lemon and a lot of honey. It's supposed to be spicy, sweet, and um, sour and I actually don't really like sweet generally speaking but when I'm sick and I'm drinking this tea I'm drinking it very very sweet and I will drink it uh, many times a day and when I stop wanting it I know I don't need it anymore it is really that simple in my experience so um, with cedar, we can tune into this body sensation that says, yeah, I would like to have more cedar or no, um, I had enough. <laughs> is that is that clear or rather confusing? No, I think it's clear. I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that are like as you know, it, it it's clear that it's never going to be um clear (laughs) so (laughs) so with that warning that i started with for some reason uh let's go for some details so uh, i'm not gonna go for a tincture uh, about cedar because this is the one that i feel that you you need to know the most what you're doing with other preparation i feel that um you can pretty much do whatever you like so my favorite internal preparation, which I haven't done for a while, but I really like it, is cedar-infused honey. It is yummy. It is antimicrobial and antifungal, so it's an excellent addition um, for you uh, as a cold remedy, uh, cold, cold flu remedy. Um, honey is always a good one for that. You add to it cedar. Ah, this is lovely. So... How do you do it? So 
I'm going to try to weave how to make general and then a little bit more specific about cedar at the same time. So to make an infused honey, you basically take pl plant material. Let's take, let's take a different example for a second. Let's say you want, you want to make elderberry honey. You have elderberries, fresh or dried, um, and you want to make a honey. You take the elderberries, put them in a jar, cover them in honey, let it sit in room temperature for about a month. The honey will turn dark, almost black, kind of bluish, bluish black. And you have elderberry honey. That's it. You have honey with the honey properties infused with the elderberry properties, which is a wonderful medicine for flu. And kids love it. I, I already have questions. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, so if you have honey and it's too thick to pour in a jar, can you still use it? I mean, by warming it up, but say you have to add a little water. Is that going to diffuse the ability of the honey? I wouldn't add water into a honey because um, one of the nice things about honey is that it's, it's antibiotic, it's antimicrobial. It will last pretty much forever. The moment you add water into it, you are diluting this effect and you're starting to introduce potential bacterias. And um, I, I cannot tell you exactly how long it will last, but it will definitely last shorter term. So what you do in that case, you want to warm the honey. But you want to be careful when you warm the honey because you really don't want to boil the honey. So you take a pot of hot water and you put the honey in, in the pot of hot water and it will liquefy the honey. That was it. I, I'm always the person who will go to the, like, the worst case scenario. <laughs> oh, that's, Perfect. That's, that's actually great. a wonderful question because I'm sure a lot of people uh, have it. That's an excellent question. Okay. I'm ready for the next. <laughs> so elderberry honey. So um, I don't really want to talk too, too much about elderberry, but we did talk about elderberry, elderberry honey. Um, so I just, I do want to say that elderberry is an excellent antiviral. There is, um, the most common way to take it uh, is in the berries, although other parts of the plant ha plants has um, more potent antiviral, but that is entire conversation. Um, so we'll leave it for another time. But the elderberry honey is rather, um, it's tasty. It is excellent antiviral. And it is one of the best thing to, to have in your home um, in the winter to take as part of just upkeep for your immune system and definitely something to take when you're just starting to feel the cold. Because the moment, the, the faster you get that cold with something like elderberry, like cedar honey, like ginger honey, lemon tea, the less likely you are to actually get sick or actually get sick in a bad way. Maybe you're gonna kinda just sc scratch the surface instead of going really deep. And if you allow yourself to get into the flu and you start taking this stuff, it does help, but it doesn't help as quickly or as thoroughly. So that will be my recommendation with that. And then when we're doing cedar honey, same thing, you just put... Okay, oh. thank you. Um, so the reason I brought the elderberry uh, as an example is that it's not exactly the same. So most plants that you want to infuse in honey, 
you do it like you do with the elderberry. You take plant material, whatever plant it is, you put it in a jar, you top it up with honey, you wait for about a, a month, give or take. Again, it's an art. A month considered to be the minimum recommended period, but still, you take it for less time, you will just likely have a slightly weaker medicine. It's still going to be medicinal. And if you keep it for longer, that's fine. Cedar is a little bit different. It's a little bit different, and that is um, you can feel it. When you um, look at the cedar needles, they're hard. They're tough. They have a little skin to them. So if you're just going to put them in honey, you're going to get a relatively weak honey, or, or the honey will be only mildly infused. So one thing is you start by chopping the needles relatively small. Um, and and then you, p you put some alcohol. And that is the difference than the usual ones. So um, how much alcohol? You want to use alcohol again. It's an art. It's like cooking. There is no hard rule. Um, but what you're really trying to do, you're trying to really just coat the cedar needles with alcohol. So it starts breaking. So to give you an example or give you a rule of thumb, if I have a jar, um, a big mason jar of, of, a, of a liter, um, and you have it more or less full with, um, with cedar, about a hundred milliliter of um, alcohol like vodka, vodka, whiskey, rum will be probably good enough. And if you put less or more, it's not a big deal. Because unlike water, when you mix uh, alcohol and honey, um, it will not um, reduce the preservation of the honey. If anything, it may enhance it. So um, you use about 100 ml, you put it on the, on the cedar, you shake it to coat, you let it sit for roughly an hour. Again, no clear-cut rule. It's like cooking. And then you top it up with honey, and then it's all the same. So you let it sit for about a month, and um, you st you strain it whenever you're ready. One of the things about straining um, is a lot of time, depending on the plant, but, but a lot of time, especially with cedar is a good example, uh, it will preserve better with the plant material in it. So it's not to say, be careful, don't strain it, uh, because it will not preserve as well, but it is to say, that if you keep it longer and you just don't use it, don't bother straining it. Just straining it when you're ready to use it. And you know that the honey is ready because it will change the color and the flavor and the scent. And that is also why I say when, when we make medicine, um, whether it's a tincture or an oil or a honey or whatever it is, Usually, um, the common recommendation is to keep it at least for a month. And it's a good recommendation. You can keep it for more. That is not a problem. But I will say also that ideally, you don't keep it for less. However, if you want to use the medicine, it will still have potent medicine for less. Just take whatever you need and let the, le let the rest stay for a month. Would you use your cedar infused honey um, then also like at the beginning of an illness? Like yes. if you felt sore throat, that kind of. Yes. Could you, what, what's your feelings about using something like that um, topically? Sure. 
in any i personally i just don't like using honey topically um i know it is used topically i have hardly used it topically because i just find it sticky and annoying um but you can use cedar honey in any way you will use other honey and you will just have honey plus the property of cedar which is win-win So where do you go from after honey infusions? What's the like the next thing you start thinking about? Okay, so so I will say when we look at using cedar internally, my preferred way is to use honey. Um, so I think I'll, I'll leave it at that for the moment. Um, another really good way to use cedar um, is to make a decoction sounds like a big word now when we make a I'll explain when we make tea when we make a herbal tea we usually make an infusion what does it mean we take a plant say chamomile you put it in a cup you pour hot boiling water on it you wait for a few uh, minutes you uh, take a plant out and you drink the tea that's an infusion work phenomenally with things actually with a lot of plants, with things like chamomile and lemon balm and mint and whatever. When you come to to do it with hardier plants, it doesn't work as well. So for example, ginger. You can make ginger infusion. You can take chopped ginger, put it in a cup, pour pour boiling water on it, uh, strain it and drink it. Um, But it will not be very strong. Yes, it will taste like ginger, but it will not be very strong. If you make decoction, which means you put, um, you um, bring the water to a boil and then you reduce it to simmer and you simmer it for a while. Um, A while is usually just a few minutes. If you want it stronger, you may simmer it for 20, 30 minutes. Um, That will be called decoction. And if you um, use it with ginger, which is a very common uh, tea, you will notice how much uh, stronger the tea will get. So I rarely make ginger infusion. I was talking before about the ginger, lemon, honey. I rarely make ginger infusion unless I'm on the road, and that's the only way I have to drink a ginger tea. Um, I always will uh, simmer it for a little while. We will get it stronger and we'll drink it. So with cedar, you do the same. Again, it's rather common sense when you think about it. Cedar, again, it's tougher. You will put pour boiling water on cedar. You will get some cedar aroma, but you're not going to get all that much. You're going to simmer it. Whoa, now you're going to start getting the aroma of cedar. Um, so you get the coction. So you can drink cedar tea. Um, honestly, I just didn't quite do it i tried it once or twice and i don't find it to be particularly bad i just didn't do it no particular reason so you could make it a decoction and drink it but um what i do want to talk about here is few other uses for the decoction so number one um we said cedar is antibacterial antifungal antifungal antiviral and when, when you breathe it in, it works on the lungs. So when you have a cold, when you have maybe um, congestion or, or just something in your lungs or, or in your breathing um, 
system. <laughs> um, what you can do is you boil cedar, uh, you, you boil cedar in water, you let it simmer. You actually, at this, for this application, you take a pot. You take a pot, fill it out with a whole bunch of cedar. Don't worry, just make it strong. Fill it out with a whole bunch of cedar, boil it for, I don't know, probably about a half an hour. You kind of feel about when you like the scent. You cool it a little bit. Be careful because we are all silly enough to get burned uh, without paying attention. And then uh, lean over the pot and inhale the steam. And the best way to do it is to cover your head with a towel so you can really inhale the steam. So this is really one good way. Uh, another um, property of the cedar that I did not mention is that cedar also stimulate the immune system. So um, it also helped like fight the quote unquote bad guys by being anti all the antis that I mentioned, but it also boosts the immune system. So this is one way to use um, cedar steam. And it's supposed to be pleasant. So you judge how much you, how long you want to stay there. Uh, there's again, no cut, clear rules. Keep it simple, enjoy it. And when we speak about enjoying it, um, one thing that is really uh, important to pay attention to when you work with plant medicine is that rather than having the ideal way to take a plant, it is better to make to take the plant that you actually will take. So um, we mentioned motherwort. Motherwort is a bitter plant. If you make a tea of motherwort, you probably wouldn't want to drink it unless you happen to like bitter tea. Um, but I take motherwort rather uh, frequently and I take it as a tincture. And I don't care that it's a little bit bitter because I don't need to drink a whole cup of it. I'm taking just a dropper full. So this is a thing to, to take into account. Um, there are so... Huh, okay, another way to reduce overwhelm is to recognize that there isn't the ideal plant for something. This is just a mental game. There are a lot of plants that are effective. There are a lot of plants that have excellent medicine. There are a lot of plants that have uh, medicine that can be used interchangeably. Um, so which plant do you use? You use the one that you have access to. And ideally you will use the one that you have a relationship to. Or you use the one that you have access to the most fresh one. So. You know, calendula being such a common plant, you buy it from the store and and you take it from what you grown and you compare the two and they're not comparison, even if you bought the calendula um, in a really good place. Take something like lemon balm that has a lot of aromatic oils. You grow it yourself or harvest it from anywhere because it's a weed. Um, it smells so good. I am yet to buy organic lemon balm that smelled like lemon balm. So the freshness is important. So know that many plants have many similar uses and don't get a hang up on it. If you have the knowledge, then you can 
you have the knowledge and you have the access to the medicine, well, okay, yeah, then you can decide which one do I use, which one feels more appropriate for me right now. But if you don't, use the plants that you have most access to. Where did I leave it with the cedar? <laughs> ah, I was talking about the um, the steam. All right. So, so one use is to breathe it in, and um, yeah, we talked about that. Another really really nice use: um, cedar is very very relaxing and very very grounding. So. When you boil a pot of strong cedar tea, big pot, a lot of cedar, boil it for a long time. You really got the, the scent of it. Strain it, put it in your bathtub. This is so, so nice. Really nice. That's one of the best way to, to use cedar, um, cedar steam. Have you ever tried it for dandruff? No, I haven't. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I'm really enjoying this moment of new self-discovery where I think about a lot of the herbs that I use regularly. Okay, so golden seal. Like, I don't grow golden seal. Does it even grow here? I, I think it's like over-harvested a lot of places and we should be careful of it, but I but I use it because it's antimicrobial, antiviral, all these things, right? And I just am realizing like, oh, I've only used it because I've known for a long time that I can rely on it to use when I feel like I am, you know, fighting off a particularly bad kind of infection or something. And so I'm like, oh, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't need to grow golden seal. I could find and develop a relationship with cedar. That's true. And you know what? I don't think I ever used golden seal. I really don't think so. Um, I might have, but I just don't remember because that first course I mentioned, we studied cedar. That was one of the plants we studied. And we also studied Oregon grape, which has a lot of similar medicine to the one of golden, of golden seal. Um... Oregon grape is not a plant I really intended to talk about, so I'm only going to touch on it. Um, as you said, golden seal is over-harvested and have issues with um, ethic, um, um, ethic growing on, on all of that. And Oregon grape is a plant that is very abundant uh, here. But, there is a but... The medicine is in the root. So uh, over-harvesting with thoughtless um, harvesting is a possibility. And that is why I don't necessarily like to talk about it too, too much. Um, but it is a wonderful plant. And if you use just a small amount of it, it's very medicinal. But yeah, a lot of the properties are in the cedar and it's so abundant. What do you use golden seal for? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I should take a moment to say this is CKTZ Radio, and we are here today with herbalist Yulia um, from Made by Yulia. So you can check her out on the web at madebyyulia.ca. Um, 
And she just put me on the spot by asking what I use golden seal for, but mostly for in um, with echinacea if I feel like uh, I'm fighting off something viral. Okay, okay. So yeah, well that that is really what I wanted to know. So um, I have we were talking about you know being your I don't know if we mentioned it, but like being your own doctor and and um, and that and. I can't remember the last time I actually went to a doctor and got the medicine they gave me. Maybe 15 years. I've probably been to a checkup a few times since, but haven't taken the medicine, medication. Um, and, um, and I don't get all that many flus, but I do have a way to deal with them. Um, and... My, I already shared actually some of my preferred uh, way to deal with them. So, elderberry, elderberry is really, really wonderful medicine. Um, if you don't particularly feel like um, like making your own medicine, elderberry syrups are readily available in a health food store. I definitely seen some at the co-op. Um, so that is one way. Uh, another way, if you can't um, harvest your own, which you can, which you don't always uh, have access to, um, buying dried elderberry is actually um, fairly easy. And then you make your own honey, like we talked about it before. Um, people make syrup with elderberry when they cook the elderberry and uh, use it with sugar. Um, I personally prefer honey. Um, just know that it's there and you will find recipes very, very easily. Um, so this is one of my big go-to, um, or one of the things I probably will recommend quite a lot and it's excellent for kids. It's really quite mild and it tastes good. So, so that's excellent. Um, my particular favorite in the, is the ginger honey lemon. I totally dose myself uh, with that if I feel that even I'm just starting to to get sick. When I say I'm dosing myself, um, I I was visiting my family um, in January uh, January and there was a lot of flu happening, and I was I picked up something from my uh, nephew, and I was drinking maybe for about four days, a lot of very strong ginger lemon honey. I finished a liter of honey during that time. But then I reached a point when I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not touching it. So that is one of my favorite, favorite remedies. Ginger is actually also very good as antiviral. Um, if you want to have it really strong, you make ginger, ginger uh, juice. But I warn you, it is really strong. Um, but usually for the for the normal stuff, this is quite enough. Um, is ginger juice the same as making a decoction? No. Ginger okay. juice is actually making a juice. So you use a juicer and you make a juice. It is strong. I tried it. Um, but personally, I find that just the tea that I was mentioning, for me, work works perfectly and for many other people I recommended came back to me and said like whoa that thing is working um what else um yeah so those are a co common one another thing that is one of my 
biggest, biggest remedies. And it is not herbal remedy. Um, it is the use of megadose of vitamin C. And this is actually one of the first uh, most potent remedies I've learned uh, probably almost 20 years ago, and it's still one of the things I use the most. Um, if you want to research it, uh, literally look megadose of vitamin C. And um, the site that I've learned it from, and I've checked it out recently, uh, it still exists, looks very old, but has a lot of information. Uh, the site is Dr. Yourself, one word, dryourself.com. And where do I even begin? Vitamin C is almost a panacea. It's, it's one of those things that um, will help you to stay healthy, will help you when you're just catching something, and will help you when you're actually getting it. And, and it's not so much in my understanding and, and again if you if you want to um, read about it in doctoryourself.com there is a lot of very precise information um, but my understanding about the way it works is that when we are I mean vitamin C is one of the building blocks of our health and when we are not well one of the things that happen is we're getting drained of the vitamin C. And then when we take it into our body, it just strengthens the body rather than um, being a symptomatic thing, this for that. Um, I think I'll leave it on that. I'll just say um, this is a big medicine that I strongly recommend to research. Um, and it takes quite a lot of vitam vitamin C for that. Hello, that's awesome. Okay, and you, I know you have a couple other um, uh, plants that you want to talk to us about. And so talk about those first, but I was really excited when you started talking about um, uh, lemon balm and um, calendula because I'm growing both of those things. <laughs> Someone even like me can grow them. Um, so I got excited about using them more. Um, and particularly, um, I know a little bit about lemon balm. I have a friend who always called it mother's little helper. Um, and so I have like a tiny experience with using it, but I haven't begun to do anything with calendula other than buy creams. So I, I like this idea that maybe I can start making my own medicine with those. Okay, so um, I don't have all of that much to say about lemon balm. Um, the primary way that I like to use it is in a tea. Um, I find personally that I prefer the flavor of a dried lemon balm. And for a long time, I was wondering about that. I was like, why does the taste of the dry taste better? And I'm starting to suspect is that when I use dry, you know, when the plant dries, it shrivels. So when you take a pinch of dry, you're actually taking a lot of plants. It just doesn't feel like my, like that because it doesn't take a lot of volume. So I think when I use fresh, I use much smaller amounts. So it doesn't taste as good. 
but that that's a side note. So um, I like lemon balm as a tea. I prefer to use it in dry. And it is a kind of kind of plant that you really cannot buy. You either have access to um, the fresh or the one that you dried, or you just don't get anything really good. Um, and it is very, very calming. Very, very calming. I find um, the first time I had access to a lot of it was kind of funny because uh, it was a period that was very stressed. I was prefer- preparing to teach a course for the first time, and I was quite stressed. Um, and I was just drinking lemon balm all the time. And I thought it's just like, oh, well, I have it available and it tastes good. So great. I'm drinking it. And only after a while, I realized I was self-medicating. <laughs> I was just taking it for to calm my um, relative low, but still uh, anxiety. So it, it is used as that. Um, it has other properties, um, but um, I don't use it as much. So I don't really... Uh, I can't speak to that as m- very much. Um, maybe I will say one thing uh, about it. Lemon balm essential oil, which usually called Melissa essential oil. It's actually not very cheap. Um, but there is one use that I found superior for that. It's for cold sores. I have never met, never, uh, never worked with any, anything that helped with cold sores as well as diluted uh, Melissa or lemon balm essential oil. Uh, but essential oil, you are not likely to make at home unless you have equipment and you know what you're doing. So that's the, that's the bad news. The good news, uh, it works very effectively, but you need to like anything to do with cold sore, you need to use it right away. The moment you feel it, you have to use it. So that's for lemon balm. Uh, calendula. Okay, let, let us use calendula about going uh, to skin preparation. So um, I have um, a salve that I called soothing calendula. Um, that you can find at the co-op or at the gorge and uh, I have a tester so you can just go and test and see what it feels like and what it smells like Um, a lot of the comments that I get about that um, is that when people first touch it it's like oh it smells like the flowers because I use quite a lot of flowers in the infusion so um, calendula is excellent 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 remedy for the skin it has other properties Uh, it can also be used in a common calming tea but i primarily use it um, for really just about any kind of skincare preparation Uh, and it is really really great so how do you make skin preparation with calendula or actually with many other uh, plants that may be appropriate for the skin so you take calendula, you put it in a jar, you take oil, olive oil is a common one. Um, it really can be any oil, but olive oil is one of the common one. And you definitely want to use oil of good quality. Otherwise, I mean, you, you're making your medicine, right? So olive oil is a good one. You take a jar, fill it out with calendula, top it out with olive oil, and you wait a month. <laughs> 
You strain it and you have calendula olive oil. It is really quite that simple. <laughs> Do you use the the flowers only or the whole plant? That is an excellent question. Um, you use the entire flower. Not just the petals, but the entire flower head. There's actually a lot of medicine in the flower uh, itself. You know, when you... Uh, pluck the the flower you feel the stickiness of the flower on on your fingers that is where a lot of the medicine is so the entire flower okay um that take us to to several places um oil is a little bit different so you know we said when you make a honey you take the plant material you cover it with honey you wait a little a month you strain it you have honey um, tincture, when we talked about it, um, about elder or, or just now very briefly, it's the same kind of process. You take a plant, you put it in a jar, you cover it with, with uh, the alcohol, which needs to be strong al- alcohol like vodka or whiskey or rum. Uh, vodka is a common, common way to use. You wait a month, you strain it. You have, um, you have a tincture. When you do uh, oil it is a little bit more involved. I mean, the basic is still the same. You take plant material, you put it in a jar, you put you put um, oil on it. Let's say olive oil. You wait a month. You strain it. You have you have um, calendula oil in this case. Now, when you use honey or when you use tincture, you can use fresh plant material or dried plant material. Personally, when I have the choice, I will use fresh, um, but dry is perfectly adequate, especially if you don't have fresh. Um, When you have oil, it's a little bit different because, and it's different from one plant to another. If you wanna keep it really simple, and you don't want to think too much about it, I will say use dry. Because if you use something that is wet, you ha- like you take calendula and you use calendula fresh, it has a lot of water in it. As the, the calendula infuses into the oil, so is the liquid. And then you're starting to get water mixed with the oil, you start running into situations with mold. And that is something you only have when you, you make oil preparation and you don't have with tincture on, or honey. Um, so that is something to take into account. Maybe we can just really stick with that. You want to keep it simple, dry it first. Um, and, um, and yeah. And maybe just one more thing to say is, especially with oil, but generally with all of them, one of the things you do want to take into account is that you want to keep the plant material covered so um, and when you use dried plant material you may start with it doesn't matter which what if but what do you use if you use oil or tincture or or honey or whatever else um, you start with the plant material you cover it especially when it's dried and then you come maybe the next day or or later and part of the plant material is popping outside of the menstruum of the honey or the whatever um, you really don't want that happening if it happened for a little bit 
that's fine. Probably not going to have any anything. You, but what you do do, you top it up. So you add more oil because what happened with a dry plant material, especially, it starts absorbing the oil or the tincture or the honey, and it starts expanding. And if you didn't put enough, it will expand over the oil or well, it's called the menstruum, whatever you um, material you use, whatever liquid you use. Um, so you just top it up. And when you're drying at home your own herbs, say your own calendula flowers, um, do you just dry it kind of, you know, in the sun until it's dried to the touch? Or is there are there rules like you have to actually dehydrate it, it has to be this long? Um I don't believe in rules. I think you already, <laughs> I think you already got that point. <laughs> uh, but there are definitely guidance guidelines. Um, you don't want to uh, grow it, uh, dry it in the sun because uh, it will start deterior- deteriorate rather fast. So you want to dry it in a place that you have some ventilation and ideally uh, kind of dry, um, kind of dark, I meant to say. A lot of time what people do, they will have some kind of um, shelf, not a solid shelf, but maybe with some netting or a mesh, especially especially if you dry a, a lot of uh, plant material. If you lar- dry small quantities uh, for self-use, what I've done many times rather successfully, I've taken a brown paper bag. You fill it, it, fill it in with the plant rather loosely. You know, you don't want to pack it. And put it in a car. <laughs> you put it in a hot car in the summer day, it dries fast. Now the paper protects it from from the sun, but you get the heat. And and uh, but if you have a lot of plants to dry, that's probably not going to work. <laughs> I I love your suggestions. They're so <laughs> along the lines of what I can actually accomplish. Uh, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, if you won't do beautiful. it, what's the point? Plus, my car could really use a little smell help. That I think that would uh, <laughs> get two birds with one stone. Um, we are going to take a moment to have some music so that you, my dear neighbors, can call in if you'd like. Uh, do you have questions about um, plants around your place that you would like advice on how to start turning into medicine um, or something similar? Or tell us something that you have been using or discovering at your own place. We'd love to hear from you. This is part of what makes uh, the Folk You Talk Show fun. Um, so call in. Um, you also could even just call in and let me know future shows, what you want to hear. The number here is 250-935-0200. You are listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM and on the web at cortezradio.ca. And I am so glad you're here to join us. Once again, the number is 0200-250-935-0200. And we are getting to talk with fantastic herbalist, super inspiring folk herbalist. This is, I mean, you know, I had to have someone on who was using the word folk. I love everyone who, who embraces folk. Um, because it's about us being able to do it, to take some steps into doing it ourselves. So yay. Thank you so much, Yulia. And we're going to have a little bit of music. This is Van Morrison with And the Healing 
has begun. And I want to be loved to you 
Let me move on up here as a windowsill a little bit here. Yeah, I got some, dig some sherry. Some, uh, a drop of pork. Yeah, I want you to come on in behind, uh, behind this door here. Always oh, just move on up this, uh, there's a letter box in here. Why don't we just go in your uh, uh, front room and uh, we'll just sit down and sit and see. I'll just move on a little, a little bit now. Yeah, I'll, I'll play this Muddy Waters record you, uh, you got here. Uh, if you just open up a, a little bit, uh, it's just let uh, me... Come on in, you know, some uh, this backstreet jelly roll.
Listening to the Folk You Talk Show on CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio on the web, on the World Wide Web at CortezRadio.ca. We are so lucky today to have a special guest, Yulia, herbalist Yulia from madebyyulia.ca fame. Many of you have tried her products. If you shop at uh, one of our Cortez stores, maybe even on Quadra, you can get them. I'm not sure. Um, I was just uh, appreciating Yulia during our little break and, and talking about how I really like the way that she talks about herbs and kind of invites us in to just play around with um, with experiencing them and play around with this idea that we can find our ways to support our own health and our own healing. Um, so we also were talking just a little bit more about um, some of the herbs that many of you see and find around your own place. Um, Yulia, you're Maybe going to tell us a little bit more about plantain. Sure. You're so sweet. <laughs> Thank you for all the superlatives. So uh, plantain. So plantain, it's not the banana starchy kind of thing, but rather the leafy plant that grows probably in your lawn. Um, there are two kinds of plantain. Um, there is a rebord plantain which has a long uh, leaves and they have um, I think it's called a broadleaf plantain if I remember correctly which has uh, more of a spoon uh, type form they are both uh, they both have interchangeable medicine and one of the way to know that you actually have plantain and not something else is that when you pick up a leaf and it's either one of them and you gently break it there are um, lines almost like small um, uh, like rubber bands like really thin like thread like there are usually several of them in parallel and if you break the leaf gently you can literally pull, pull it and see those threads 
and it's in either one of them those two plants it's it's really quite surprising when you don't know them that they are pretty much the same like they have the same medicine and they're both called plantain because they do not look the same I just have to say that that is exactly was my problem because I grew up in Ohio, um, which is in the States, in case you're wondering, somewhere near the middle. And I knew that plantain had a lot of these, um, you know, medicinal properties and I knew to use it. And then I came here and I've been saying for years, oh, I don't have any plantain. I can't find any plantain in my yard. And people would say, oh yeah, just use plantain. You have some growing. And I was like, I don't have any plantain. And someone just came over recently and was like, oh, look at all your plantain. And it was just this, is that I didn't know like that it looked differently. <laughs> so thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> So uh, both kinds grow on Cortez, uh, although I must say that in the city they are a lot more abundant. In the city they're really everywhere, but there is quite a, quite a lot here too. Um, now to make it just a little bit more confusing is that plantain can be very, very small. Um, let's say the uh, broadleaf can be um, the size of, size of a teaspoon. Um, that is pretty much what I have in my yard. Or it can be really quite go big, the size of my uh, palm, uh, just for one leaf. And, and usually the difference is um, the small one will grow in a really compacted soil. Um, and the bigger one will usually grow in a more fertile soil and they simply can grow bigger. So um, we, we talked before having a relationship and connecting with the plants one of the um, the ways you connect to the plant, you actually use your senses and, and you kind of observe what, where does the plant grows, what is the environment like, and, and that tells us quite a lot. Um, sometimes easier said than done, but um, oftentimes when you read it, it's like, oh yeah, it makes sense. So with, in the case of plantain, plantain is very, very tenacious herb. It grows in very, very compacted uh, and what seem to be dead soil. It grows from a crack in the concrete. Um, and what it does, what it tells us that it does because of that, it, it has the ability to draw nutrients from deep within the soil so it can still sustain itself and grow in such harsh environment. Um, and when I spoke about the, the different sizes, it is actually the smaller. It's not like you need to go and look for the small plantain, but the smaller size will likely to be more medicinal. Um, because um, the theory is because it grows in a harsh environment, it actually needs to put a lot of effort into drawing all those nutrients from the soil and and to do that, it produces a lot of chemical constituents and it makes the plant more powerful and more medicinal. And when you harvest the same plantain, which will be bigger in an environment which it has plenty of nourishment and it will grow really big, it will probably not going to be quite as potent because it didn't need to have this um, uh, <laughs> struggle. <laughs> You know, sometimes struggle does make us better. So, <laughs> so this is an, an example in a plant plant kingdom. So, plantain. 
Um, so plantain has this ability to draw nutrients from the soil. And it is also an indication of its medicine uh, because plantain has a very good drawing action. It is excellent for all sorts of stings, bee stings, wasp stings, um, mosquito bites, stinging nettles. It has, um, for that, it has a dual action. It will both have the action of drawing the venom out, out of the of the wound or whatever out of this this thing um and it also has a soothing effect so it's one and the other so that so they both work um and how do you use plantain so the easiest is using it literally like a green band-aid. So you have, you're stung by a bee, you touch a stinging nettle or whatever, uh, you reach um, to, the, <laughs> to the lawn, you pick up a leaf of plantain you, um, and you put it on the wound. You can do what's called a spit poultice, which is you basically take the, put the leaf in your mouth you chew it a little bit to break it, and then you put it on a wand. So this is really one excellent, excellent, and probably the best way to really use plantain. It's not always so practical. You don't always have access to the plant, but it's common enough, so you may. Um, plantain makes an excellent salve or, or oil. Um, Salve is a little bit more, more complicated. We're not going to get today how to make it. It's not that complicated. We just don't have the time. But we talked about how to make calendula oil. Plantain oil is also very, very nice. It is very soothing and it is very healing. Um, uh, yeah, and it's just, just really great. It can be used in many ways that calendula is used, but it just feels different. Um, you know, a lot of time we have plants that can be used interchangeably, but they, do, they don't necessarily feel the same. So if you have only one, you use whatever you have. But when you have several, you start developing a nuances and you say like, oh, now I'm going to use plantain and now I'm going to use calendula. But if you only have one, hey, it doesn't matter. Just use that. <laughs> so, so plantain make an excellent oil and here it will be especially important not to use the absolute fresh plantain because then you're going to have almost guaranteed a moldy oil so you want to um, make it even if not fully fully dry you want it to wilt quite well so a lot of the water evaporate before you you do that um and do you use just the leaves yes the you use the leaves so you don't need any of the root no, you don't need of, of any of the root. I'm pretty sure I read that the roots are medicinal, but I, I haven't used it in such a way, so I cannot quite speak to that. Mostly when people talk about plantain, they do speak about the leaves. I, I am so excited. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I've always thought about plantain is just that, is like how do you keep it for, you know, when something happens and it, it's no longer, you know, accessible in your yard or whatever. So that's a really nice way. And I want to touch in on something that you were talking about earlier that I really, really helps me get over some of my fear about 
going deeper into using herbs is that I've always had this idea like, oh, I really need to understand and remember all the information, right? Every herb, every plant, what could, you know, which part, what's good, what's bad, what might harm you, what uses, you know, it's used for. And, and it just seemed so overwhelming that I didn't even bother starting. Um, and so I love how you were talking earlier about, like, we can look that stuff up. We don't have yeah. to remember all of that. We can just look that part up and give ourselves permission to start. Um, you've given us a, some, a couple really easy ways to start, things that most of us can recognize or we can get someone to point out to us pretty quickly. Cedar, plantain, mother's wort, lemon balm, and calendula. And alder. And alder. We touched on it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, and your recipe is still uh, available for people. Yes. Um, both at your website, but also at CKTZ's CortezRadio.ca and Cortez Currents. Um, and we've had a number of people uh, ping back on those recipes. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, are there yeah? T- are there last thoughts that you want to send us home with? Yeah, I actually. I can talk about this stuff for a very long time, and maybe we will eventually, especially when we can actually get together uh, in public. Uh, I just want to say one more thing about plantain, because my favorite medicine about plantain I didn't mention yet. And um, plantain, in all the, the plants I've used to date, it is the best plant for bruises. It is... Excellent, excellent for bruises. And um, the fresh plant is always the best. You simply um, put it on the bruise. Again, you can do a spit poultice, break it up a little bit with your teeth, put it on a bruise. Um, That will work. You can use dry plantain. The very first time I used plantain on a bruise, I used dry. I didn't even know if it will work, but it worked. I woke up at 4 a.m., I fed my cat when I was half asleep and walked into the door frame. And I was sure I'm going to have a black eye for sure. I really hurt myself quite badly. And um, I didn't have fresh plantain, but I had dry. And I heard I just started learning plant medicine. And I learned that it has um, an action for bruises. And I took the dried plantain. I rehydrated it with a little bit of hot water. And then I put it on my on the bruise, literally on my cheek and eye, and the bruise never materialized. So this is really, really beautiful. Um, it's beautiful if you use it before the bruise even materialized. And even if the bruise materialized, it will still help healing it. And uh, the oil, unfortunately, the, although it is gorgeous medicine, it does not work on bruises. But what also does work on bruises is tincture. So you asked about how to preserve. So if you don't have access to the fresh one, maybe it's winter or whatever, you're just out and about, uh, dry will work, rehydrated, and a tincture will work. And the tincture you use topically? Yep. Can you take it internally too? You can take it internally, but honestly, I didn't do it for a while, so I can't quite remember for what you're going to use it, uh, but you can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are, those, are, those are good, empowering last words. Um, well, I really uh, hope we get to do more with you soon. Um, 
more with you soon in person. Uh, <laughs> may the future be, be so. Um, thank you so much. That's been an, an excellent uh, education and beginning. Really what I feel is just allowed to be more curious and somewhere to go with my curiosity um, from this. I, I've, t I've taken, I've been <laughs> writing frantically a bunch of notes as Yulia talks, but I think even if you didn't write notes, that that's okay because I, my big takeaways that I got is that I actually know a lot. I can start making some basic medicine. If I'm too scared to do anything else, then I can, you know, just use it topically <laughs> to begin. Um, but I think I'm I think I'm ready to to take a the deeper plunge so and also you know if you're worried um the first thing you google is is whether uh the particular plant have um contraindications sometimes it will a lot of time it doesn't a lot of the plants you almost cannot hurt yourself with so you're not sure well, that is the first thing you check. And then if you find out that there is nothing, well, go ahead and knock yourself out. <laughs> what will it do when we don't have Dr. Google to help us? Uh, yeah, that will be a sad day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Yulia. Thank we you. are going to uh, get to listen to a little bit more medicine-themed music. Um, and then we will have... Um, a little bit of gardening advice happening next. So if you, in the meantime, would like to call in and ask any questions, you may do so at 250-935-0200. Um, momentarily, we'll be having Autumn with us to talk a little bit more about what she's doing in her garden and on her farm, um, particularly with herbs. Thanks again, Yulia. I am a medicine man, I do a medicine dance. I am a medicine man, I sing a medicine chant. I am a medicine man, I have a medicine tail. I am a medicine man, I walk a medicine trail. I am a medicine man, I do a medicine dance.
Hello, you are listening to Folk University on the radio today. We've been learning a little bit more about herbs. And if I've done everything right, which often I don't, as many of you know, um, we have Autumn with us. Autumn, are you there? I'm here. Yay! <laughs> um, so Autumn is here, and she's going to talk to us a little bit more um, from an herbal perspective about what she's doing in her garden, but also with her farm animals using herbs. Um, so thank you so much, Autumn. You are one of uh, my inspirations for for herbs and for use and for the idea that I'm allowed to play around with herbs um, and with that kind of medicine. So I really appreciate you being here uh, to talk with us. Me too. Thank you so much. I'm really great, grateful for this platform to be able to share more and learn more from others too. Yay! So what are you, what are you doing right now? What are you, what are you trying? What are you growing? Um, and what's taking up your time? Well, yeah, gardening is definitely taking up my time. And this year I've been experimenting more with many different types of herbs and medicinal plants. Some of them I know personally and have been using for many years, and some I've never seen before, some I've never used before, but I was called to them. So shout out to Salt Spring Seeds and to many of my friends seed savers who have saved their medicine plants over the years and passed me along their seeds. It's been such an honor um, to get to know these plants because every plant, especially the medicinal plants, are very particular in their needs. So that's been a huge learning curve in growing medicinal herbs. Some of them are super easy. You just kind of broadcast seed them and they'll pop up and grow. While others, you know, they don't naturally grow here, so they need specific germination conditions and learning about like scarifying seeds and stratifying seeds for sometimes a month. Um, that's been a huge learning curve. Um, yeah, so there's been some plants in particular that, um, that I've been growing have been licorice root. That's a new one and it's taken some time. Some other ones are astragalus root, which was really exciting to pop up because I use that one a lot for myself and for the animals. And some angelica root, that's been a new one this year, and it's really exciting because a lot of these root ones, they're going to take a couple years before you can really be cultivating or harvesting them. So it's going to be a, a lengthy relationship, you know. And, yeah, and so there's been plenty of other herbs that I've just been kind of experimenting with and yeah some of them are more specific and some of them I've just kind of broadcast seeded around the garden and just hoping for the best and just keep watching the little ones grow and yeah cultivating herbs is so powerful and so amazing to watch a plant grow from a seed to to right into your medicine pretty much and that's been pretty revolutionary in, in my process of medicine making and healing ailments with plants, especially when in acute situations when you need the plant like yesterday. Having it in your garden is so amazing. And the biggest thing actually about those plants, especially the ones that you needed like yesterday, is there's so many medicines that Julia even spoke about that are just growing here whether we like it or not. And those have been serious, almost lifesavers 
in, um, in some situations, especially with some of the farm animals here on our neighborhood farm. And um, yeah, I've been very grateful to a lot of teachers, um, even just through books, because some of them are now since passed, but Juliet de Berkeley-Levy, she's been a huge mentor, and I highly recommend anyone with animals to look into her. Juliet de Berkeley-Levy, she's an herbalist from even the 40s, and she is a veterinary herbalist. She kind of was the founder of veterinary herbalism. And some of the, her protocols that I followed for our sheep and our ducks and dogs have just been so on point and exactly what was called for in that moment. So that's been really huge and something just even like ivy, like when our sheep were giving birth, that was the instruction was to give two handfuls of ivy right after their lambing to help kind of cleanse the reproductive system. And that's something that so many people struggle with, just growing, again, whether they like it or not. And here I am, like, at 1 in the morning driving around the island <laughs> trying to remember all the spots that I've noticed ivy. So, yeah, it's been really fun just following these plants around and growing them myself, too. And what's your – I mean, do you – maybe it's too early to ask for advice, but do you where – where to start? So I'm kind of a, I'm a pretty – beginner gardener um and i am this year i'm trying to grow some herbs um i for instance i'm i've i seem to have actually managed to start some echinacea some cone flowers which are pretty the deer don't seem to be too aggressive towards them and um and i really and i already use echinacea in my Mm -hmm. in my life so i'm pretty excited about that um, but I also tried to start Mother's Wart, and I haven't been able to get it to go. Um, so, like, where did you start? Like, what herbs would you start with? And then I see that you're getting some into some roots. Like, at what point did you feel like you were ready to try harder ones? Yeah, that's a great question. This year I felt, um, I felt called to dive a little deeper, but in previous years I didn't always have the garden space or just kind of the capacity to um, grow the herbs, let alone to, you know, it's one thing to grow them, but also to process them and have a good drying space or what have you. Um, that, that's a huge part of being, for me anyways, to, that I felt prepared to kind of take on more in terms of um, growing just a variety of different herbs. Ones, some ones that I use regularly and some that I haven't used before, but I look forward to. But to start, um, I, I say the best way to start is just kind of go with what you're drawn to and just give it a shot, you know, whether it be you are kind of looking through um, seed catalogs or whatever and you just are drawn to certain plants or if you've seen plants in other people's gardens and you notice them and you feel drawn to them, you know, maybe just asking for a trade or some sort of thing where we can share our medicinal plants around because the more that are growing, the better for all of us, really. But some of the, like, some of the more simple plants, um, and simple I mean just kind of rigorous and hardy and will do their thing if you put them in soil and water them, Um, like calendula and chamomile, 
and things like that are just so valuable to have around for just general digestive stuff and wounds and all of that sort. California poppy. I know there's a lot of people who, as soon as they grow California poppy, now it pops up everywhere. So I'm sure, you know, somebody would be happy for you to harvest their seeds at the end of the season so they don't go spreading all over their garden again. Um, yeah, so I, I'd say the best place to start is just whatever you're drawn to and just do some research on, on the conditions and the specific needs of the plants in terms of germination, what time of year. Like I noticed that there's so many plants, especially the herbs that are prefer to have the exposure to the winter, so to be planted in the fall. And um, I'd say just experiment. That's what it's all about. You know, you might not, we might not get a full huge harvest this year, but we tried and we learned something and we can move forward with that information and try it again in a new way. I love that. Can you talk about, are there a couple herbs that you keep around for your animals um, in particular or that you would recommend other people starting to try um, with their animals? Yeah. Well, it depends on whether, um, whether you know, depends on the animal, for one. Just to begin, there's a lot of different herbs that are, are totally safe for animals, and there are some that animals have allergies to. And it could be the, like, dogs have allergies to this particular herb or cats, or it could just be the individual dog has an allergy to the aster family or whatever. So knowing about your dog and having some informed advice from your vet, if you have any, um, if you have a good relationship with your vet, and or just doing research and just kind of noticing our animals' kind of well-being and how they respond to little amounts of each plant, that's always the best way to start. But there are ones that I always keep around. Nettle is one of them. There's been times where, you know, we've had a chick who went totally anemic and it was just a few days old and we just made a nettle tea and put it in a little syringe and like kind of just shot it in her mouth and she bounced right back within a few hours. Rescue remedy specifically for animals has been so, so, so helpful to, uh, to us and the animals as a just emotional well-being, especially in acute trauma and things like that. Mullen flowers, that, I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing to be making medicine because you love it, and another to be making medicine and anticipating you never know what will happen. So you make it just in case, you know. We don't ever hope to have, say, an ear infection, but if you have the medicine on hand, it's, oh, such a lifesaver. So having like mullein flowers are so huge because, you know, especially with the dogs jumping in and out of the water and such ear infections, they can be prone to them. So having St. John's wort and mullein flower oil, that, um, that's really nice. Even if you just have the mullein flowers just sitting in oil for a while, that's really nice to have on hand. Yarrow, that yarrow cell on plantain, those are kind of just always growing around, and I seriously appreciate them, um, fresh or dried or however, but especially fresh 
to, if there's ever any um, wounds, to be able to just like chop those up and put them directly on the wound. I've noticed how not only for myself it's so healing and soothing to those irritated, inflamed, and hurt tissues, but I'd see how the animals just kind of calm down when they have that on them because now it's protected and it, the healing process can now begin. So plantain, self-heal, and yarrow are huge ones. Or even just rose petals. That's so nice on a wound. And yarrow also is really, I love to use, I've made an oil of a few different herbs to put on after I take ticks off just to help kind of cool down that, uh, that wound. And pine sap has just been oh, the thing of all things. <laughs> it's really come in in the most intense and acute scenarios for myself and the animals to just kind of scoop it off the tree and stick it in the wound. And it is amazing how it not only protects and heals the wound, but how it just, the hair will push it off, and then all of a sudden, there's not even a scar there. So pine sap has been huge. This is so um, amazing for me, and I, once again, I just have to say how much I appreciate um, you and Yulia and people like you with this idea that there we have abundantly available to us all these plants and that you, you know i don't ever consider myself to be you know knowledgeable enough to start and then i hear you and i'm like oh right i know about pine sap i know pine sap it's safe it's easy like yes i've used it before i i have started um so thank you so much for for sharing with me but most especially for being one of those people like yulia who's just helps us change the attitude that we're not good enough or that, you know, we don't know enough to begin. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I totally. so appreciate that. Um, and this is a fantastic opportunity to say that we're going to get to hear more from Autumn mm-hmm. next week because Autumn is coming in to talk as part of our Nature is Good for You series with Foci. 